Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Once again, it's good to see you here this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, um, would you join me in 2 Timothy chapter 4? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Hopefully when you come in, you get one of those bulletins on the back of that. There'll be some notes if you want to reference those during our time together in the morning. So 2 Peter chapter 4. In light of some of the issues that we've had with the audio difficulty Um, we got a different microphone. So for the first few moments, they're going to be playing with all the buttons and the gigasmos and the gidgets. So if uh, you hear some different sound coming in, I think all they're trying to do is is zero me in, I guess, is what they're trying to do. So I hope that you have a Bible and that you will join me there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Obviously, we know that as we're here this morning, we are here on the last day of 2023, and I don't know if they do it anymore, but I remember growing up, they would always seem like they would have on the radio, there was always a big countdown. The, the, the most, um, most requested songs of this past year, they may have a, a countdown where they talk about the best music videos, they may talk about the, the greatest news stories. I mean, there's always seems like when you come to the end of the year, you have a countdown. And then as you begin the year, they always will make predictions. If you were get around some people, they will try to make some predictions that we think this is what will happen in 2024. Some of you in the room, you might be um, fond of making some resolutions or making some decisions about here is, here is what I want to try to do in this upcoming year. So every time we get to this season, to this part of the calendar, it's a time for us to look back and a time for us to look forward. And so what I want to try to do this morning is to just ask us as a church, not just to revel in this past year, but to ask ourselves as a church, How will we further the kingdom in 2024? And what are some ways that we as a collective congregation, that we as a body can be engaged in furthering the kingdom here in Wellston? So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the reason why we're there is because the context. The context is that Paul is writing. He's writing towards the end of his earthly ministry. He's writing most likely from jail in a Roman prison, and he is most likely writing this may be the very last letter that he writes. And he's writing it to a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy was his protege. Timothy was his mentee in the faith. Timothy was a young man that on one of Paul's missionary journeys took him under his wing and he taught him and he trained him. And this Timothy now, most people believe, is probably pastoring in the town of Ephesus. And he's pastoring in a, in a difficult church and he's facing problems. He's facing both doctrinal problems. He's facing congregational problems. He's facing cultural problems and social problems and all those things. And so as Paul is writing. He's wanting to encourage. He's wanting to encourage Timothy. Timothy, this is what the priority, this is what the mission, this is what the church should be about. And as he's writing here to Timothy, he's writing just not to Timothy, but he's writing beyond Timothy to Timothy and the church. 
And so there's some instructions here. There's some exhortations here. There's some encouragement here about we as a church, what should we be looking to do in 2024? Now, you see there at the first part of your notes, we're going to work through the mission of the church rather quickly. And if we get down there and it's like 1120 and we get down to the very bottom portion, you're like, man, we're going to be done. We're going to beat the Methodist to the white meat at the buffet line. I'm just telling you, we're going to spend some more time at the bottom portion of the notes. So please do not get upset at me when we get down there to the bottom section, the bottom three, and you're like, you really let me down. You got my hopes up, preacher. Then you just dashed my hopes. I'm giving you a forewarning. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be looking at these first four verses and looking how Paul then frames this as more of a charge. And he'll say that the, first, the second verse or the second word of the verse. But he gives this charge to Timothy and by extension to the church. And I think it's something that you and I here in Wellston in 2023, almost 2024, we can use to think about how we will further the kingdom in 2024. And he gives Timothy some warnings. He gives them some reminders. He gives him some things that should frame his perspective. In chapter 4 and verse 1, notice how Paul begins. He says, I, this would be Paul, charge you, would be Timothy, and by extension the church, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now we're going to stop right there because in this very first verse, Paul makes his first plea, this first reminder, hey Timothy, when you think about the ministry, your ministry and the ministry of the church, be reminding yourself and remember the glory and the standard of God. If you look there, he says, I charge you in the presence of God. So there's one character, one personality there is present. And then he says of Jesus or of Christ Jesus. So you have a second part to this and then by the appearing of his kingdom. So he says, remember, whatever you do in ministry, do it because you know who you are serving and we are serving for the glory and the standard of God. Why do I say glory and standard? Well, he talks about the first part of verse one, the presence of God. Then the middle part of verse one, he talks about the judgment of God and the kingdom of God. What does Paul want us to understand? Paul wants us to remember, he wanted Timothy to remember that everything we do, God sees and knows. So when we think about where we've been in 2023 or we think about where we want to go in 2024, make sure that we understand that everything is under the watch and the listening of God. And why do I start there? Because that's the most important piece. That's the most important part. The only reason that you are here this morning is because God has put it in your heart to fear him, to follow him, and obey him. There would be no reason for us to be gathered here this morning if God did not exist. So Timothy, or so Timothy is being reminded by Paul, make sure you understand that there is an order to this. It starts with the glory and the standard of God. God sees and he knows. The second part of verse 1 is that he will judge. In other words, all people will be judged. And why does that matter? Because this judgment time is coming. And the ministry of this church and the ministry of your life as a professing Christian is to point people to the reality of who God is and the greatest decision that each one of us will ever make. What do we do about God? 
Do we fear God? Or do we deny God? Do we follow God? Or we rebel against God? The greatest question in the room is not what you got for Christmas. The greatest question in the room is not what you're going to do in the calendar year 2024. The greatest question in the room is, are you saved? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Do you know that your eternity is secured in heaven? So Paul wants Timothy to understand that, listen, when it comes to the ministry, it should be based and founded upon the glory and the standard of God. Why? Because God sees and knows. Secondly, because all people will be judged. And thirdly, because the king is coming. He wants to make sure that Timothy and the church knows that everything should revolve around who God is. In the military, they have a document called AR-670-1. just stands for Army Regulation. They like the regulations. They like their standard operating procedures. And so if you were to want to know when I am getting dressed in my uniform, as John does on a regular basis, and you want to know, am I dressed correctly, you go back to AR-670-1. I don't know what it is in uh, other branches of service. I don't even know if they have a standard. I know the army does. And so you have this, you have this standard. And so if you want to know if my, if my medals are correctly, if you want to know if your name is sewn correctly, if you want to know that if your patches on your shoulders is put on correctly, if you want to know if you're dressed correctly, you go back because in AR670-1, regardless of what you are wearing in an army uniform, there is the explanation of what is the standard. So when the time comes to be inspected by your superior officer and you are sitting there in formation and everybody is there, they don't come down the line and say, hey, Spence, do you like what, how you're dressed or what do you feel about the way you're dressed or what does everybody in the squad think about how you're dressed? No, the question is, is how do you measure up to the standard? Well, that's what Paul is wanting to remind Timothy about here in this text. He's wanting to remind him that when it comes to ministry and when it comes to the life of the church and when it comes to the, the behaviors, when it comes to the practices, when it comes to the methodologies, when it just comes to living the Christian life, our standard is not the world outside these walls. Our standard is not the popular opinion inside these walls. Our standard is the word of God. And he says that's the whole point. When it comes to ministry, when it comes to thinking about what we've done or we think about what we want to do, remember that there is a glory and a standard of God. God has given us his word to point to, to reveal his glorious existence. And he gives us his word so that we have a standard to ordain our lives. So he says the first part of verse 1, remember the glory and the standard of God. So as we as a church think about how we will further the kingdom in 2024, everything should be built upon the glory and the standard of God. Now skip down to verse 3 and 4. We're going to come back to verse 2, but I want to do this in a, in a purposeful order here. Because in verse 3, he reminds them that why does the glory and the standard of God matter? It's because it's the direction of the world that is the problem. Verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Many of your translations will say sound doctrine. They will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He 
says, do you understand that the reason why the standard and the glory of God is so important is because this world is headed in a direction that is not fear God. That does not submit to God. That does not obey God. That does not follow after God. The reason why the glory and the standard of God is so important is because in contrast to the direction of the world, this world is headed to hell. Notice how he frames it there in verse 3. He says, the time is coming, and I submit to you this morning, the time is here. Well, what will they do? They will deny truth. It says that they will, there in the text, they will not, insert, not in, endure sound teaching. In other words, they will deny truth. They will just say that, you know what, there is not anything as absolute truth. Truth is relative, and truth is whatever you want truth to be, or however you feel, or whatever your opinion is. They will deny that there is truth. They will deny biblical values. They will deny biblical morality. They will deny the things that the Bible teaches as being principles, precepts, standards. He said, that's the way the world is headed. The world is heading in that direction. They will not endure sound teaching, but what will they do? They will choose pleasure, comfort, and satisfaction. It says there in the text, look at verse three, they will not insert down sound teaching, but having itching ears, they accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What are they doing? They find themselves saying, I don't want to listen to that person. That person says things that I don't like, things that I disagree with, things that don't make me happy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go find someone that will make me happy and I'll listen to them. You say, Spence, is that going on today? Yes. Yes. It was classified a couple of decades ago as a seeker-friendly movement. It's the idea that when we come to church, what sets the stage for the topic, what sets the stage for the practice, what sets the stage for how we do church is based upon your feelings and your emotions and what pleases you, not the Word of God. And he says, be careful, be careful because you have, on one hand, you have the glory and the standard of God. And on the other hand, you have the direction of the world. And you need to understand the direction of the world is not moving in the direction of the standards and glory of God. They are not compatible. They are in, incompatible. They are moving in opposite directions. And be on guard, Timothy and the church, because if you start to base your ministry, ministerial values and practices off the direction of the world, you're going to be moving in a way away from God. So that's what he says there in verse 3. They will accumulate their for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Verse 4, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. In other words, you see there in your notes, they will embrace Myths. Now, what is a myth? I'm not talking about something Greek or, or, or Roman mythology. I'm talking about, in the sense here, the word is being used to describe false beliefs, false teachings. I put there in your notes, self-actualization. You may not be familiar with that word, but that idea of self-actualization is to come to say that you can be whatever you want to be. That you have enough within inside yourself. It was the different psychologists, Freud and Hume and Rogers and Maslow, Buddha, Hindi. They all came in and they all started to teach that the answer is inside of you. The solution is inside of you. You are the source of your own salvation. And that's where we're at today. 
You can solve your own problems. You can fix your own self. This is not a new phenomenon. This is not a new idea. This is not a new thread or a thought. This goes all the way back to the time when the Apostle John is writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John when he's addressing the error, the error and the heresy of Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught that you had the divine revelation. You had the divine knowledge. You had the answer within inside yourself. And so when John is writing, he is combating this idea of Gnosticism to say, no, you are not your own solution. You need Jesus. So he says here in the text, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, be on guard. You need to remember that there's a glory in the standard of God that you are to submit and obey and follow. And you need to understand that in the world around you, they are moving in a direction that is godless. So we shouldn't be surprised at the popular music awards when they are practicing satanic worship. You should not be surprised when you're on social media and you are seeing pornographic videos. You should not be surprised that this society and this culture is devolving or degrading or as Charles put it this morning, that the depravity is only increasing and growing louder and more prominent. You should not be surprised that there are individuals today that are celebrating rebellion and disobedience to God. That should not take you and I back. That should not surprise us. Why? Well, because God said it would happen. Jesus reminded it has happened. And Paul is saying, this is what is the sign of the last times. This is where you are headed. And it is only going to get worse. So what do we do? Oh, Spence, you mean you brought us here on December the 31st just to give us a downer? No. What I want you to understand is as we look forward in the calendar, understand that we have the glory and the standard of God here, and we have the direction of the world over here. So we are sitting here with diametrically opposed issues. And if you're like me, I look at the text and I say, okay, so what's the answer, Paul? What do you want me to do now, Paul? What hope do I have for this upcoming year, Paul? And that's where you get to verse 2. Now, I don't know about in your translation, your copy of God's Word, but here in mine, the one that I'm using, it's broke up in really three different sections. And so I put it there in your notes in three different sections. But the first one he wants to remind them of, or the, 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 this whole idea of verse 2, is he wants to remind Timothy, and by extension the church, he wants to remind them of the priority and the purpose of the believer. He wants to remind them, okay, so you have... The standards and the glory of God. You have the direction of the world. So then what should be our heart? What should be our attitude? What should be our priorities? The purpose of the believer. He says in verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, not about you, but there's sometimes people will come to that very first word in verse 2, and they say, they see that word, preach the word, and sometimes you automatically think, well, this does not apply to me, and you close the book and you go on. Well, I am not a vocational preacher. I am not an active person speaking, preaching, teaching the word of God on a weekly basis at a local church. So therefore, you think, sometimes you might be tempted to think, well, this does not apply to you. The biblical word for that is baloney. 
Why? Well, because what the word says, it says preach the word. Does it say, Timothy, you only preach the word? Does it say, Timothy, only the people that are called into vocational ministries should preach the word? No, he says, Timothy, you and the church, you preach the word. Now, this idea of preach, you go back to the original language, this idea of preach is simply, and I put that in your notes, to make known, to proclaim, to announce. It's the idea that any believer, any person that knows the truthfulness of God's word, any person that possesses knowledge and understanding of the application of God's word, You have an opportunity to announce, proclaim, let people know what God's word says. Some of you have gotten there in the stage of being a grandparent. And you find yourself in that stage of being a grandparent, and you get that picture of that grandchild, and it's like you want to go around, you want to show everybody a picture of your grandchild. Oh, look at my grandchild, look at my grandchild, look at my grandchild. And it's amazing how many times when you become a grandparent, you also become a medical professional. Because then you look at somebody and say, look at, a pers- look at my grandchild, isn't he perfect? Well, isn't he just so sweet looking? Well, oh, he has just the best cheeks and he has his mother's ears and he has his father's eyes. And we start to put on all these ideas about what we think about our grandchild. And really, we're not a doctor. We're not a medical professional. We have no grounds to say that. But we become to pronounce, announce, and proclaim the things that we believe in. That's all you're doing with God's word. You say, I'm going to know God's word so that I can share God's word. So he says there in verse 2, you preach the word. The idea that the ministry, the way that we address and we bridge that chasm between the glory and the standard of God and the, uh, the direction of the world is by preaching the word of God. Not preaching ourselves, not preaching humanistic, ten, uh, humanistic therapies, not preaching what we think or what we like. We preach the word. It's the word of God. But then notice he also says, be ready in season and out of season. What is he referring to? He is saying, be ready for ministry. Because you do not know when that opportunity will come. You do not know when that opportunity will present itself. You need to be ready at any single time to tell people this is what God's word says. And he says, be ready in season and out of season. But then the third section, he says, reprove Rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, sometimes we might get tripped up in those three words. We might say, what does that mean? So here's the best way that I could think of to try to explain it to you. This is not a whooping stick. This is a yardstick. So this is, there's 12 inches and a foot, There's 36 inches in a yard, so this would make a yardstick, a yardstick. So we would measure things by this, okay? All right, so we're on the same page now. So just imagine, such imagine, that me and Mr. Harold Thompson, he is a great magician when it comes to all things of wood products, and let's say him and I, we're having a conversation and a discussion. And Harold says, you know what, Spence? I think that we should do something about the pulpit. I think that we should do something about the way it is constructed. And I say, oh, no, Harold, I think that the pulpit is just fine. In fact, I like having a 70-inch wide pulpit. Harold says, uh, Spence, you might get your eyes checked because this pulpit is not 70 inches wide. Well, Harold, I feel, I think, 
I believe that it's 70 inches wide. And if I believe it's 70 inches wide, it can be 70 inches wide. Harold says, no, Spence. It's not 70 inches wide. Well, Harold, who are you to tell me what it is and what it is not? And that is where Harold would come into one of these, or, or he might have a little more sophisticated one of those ones with a self-retracting plastic deal, metal deal. He may have a little more fancier item, but he might come up and he might say, well, Spence, this is how we know that this pulpit is not 70 inches wide. So what does he do? He takes a means of measurement, and he comes up. And he puts it right here. And he says, Spence, it is just over 23 inches. Now, what has he done? He has just what it says there in verse 2. He has reproved me. What do you mean he's reproved me? He has corrected me. He has brought my errant thinking into biblical alignment. He is saying, Spence, you are in error. Spence, you are mistaken. Spence, what you are saying is not true based upon what? Based upon Harold's feelings, opinions, or ideas? No, based upon the standard. Stay with me. So he reproves me. Well, then what do we think about rebuke? Rebuke is when he shows me how I came to the wrong assumption. So he may take this measuring stick and he say, he say, Spence, look, it's just barely over 23 inches. And I may say, well, Harold, how in the world did I come to think that it's 70 inches wide? And he may flip it over and say, Spence, you're reading the centimeters. Let me explain to you, Spence, how you got to an errant way of thinking because you were going off the wrong standard. So he reproves me to show me my error, and then he rebukes me to show me how I came to the error that I have. And then the last part is he exhorts. What does he do there? He then comes alongside of me and says, Spence, based upon the standard, let me encourage you to understand how to read the standard correctly and how to apply it to your life. Now, has he been hateful or unloving? He better not be. Why? Because it says in verse 2, with complete patience and teaching. So in other words, what Harold has the opportunity to do is to share and to show the word of God with Love. I, wait, I love it the way that Eugene Peterson did it in his uh, paraphrase, you know, the, the message Bible. He talks about that we should challenge, we should warn, and we should urge. It's the idea that when we come alongside and we are preaching God's word, it's not so that I can take this and beat somebody over the head with it. It's not so that I can take it and go, hey, look, I measure up, but you don't, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. It's not for me to go around to all of you all and go, yep, yep, falling short, yep, yep, not missing the mark, and yet I never apply it to myself. Notice, what are we using as the standard? See, so many times in this world, this world will try to bait you and I into making the conversation me versus you. And this has never been a point to make me versus you. It's you and I versus the standard of God's word. So we come in, and Harold says, Spence, I will reprove you and show you that it is not 70 inches wide, it's only 23. And then I will rebuke you by showing you how you came to the wrong assumption and the wrong belief. And then I will exhort you by encouraging you how to properly read and apply the standards of our lives. That's what we're to do is preaching the word. 
Now, I didn't get the entire conversation that's happened in the adult Sunday school class this morning because I had to step out a little bit early. But here in the fellowship hall, they were in in a very wonderful conversation about confronting sin and how we confront sin and when to confront sin and when is it loving versus being judgmental. Now, the question is, is can we confront sin in an ungodly, unloving way? Yes! But when you don't confront sin and help reprove, rebuke, and exhort, it's as if you're looking at that person and saying, I don't care if you go to hell or not. We gotta be careful because what Paul says, notice he says in verse two, the way that we bridge those, the way that we bridge those two gaps between the glory and the standard of God and the direction of the world, the way we bridge those gaps is we point people, we preach the word of God. And the way that we show the errant ways of this world and the misguidedness of this world in comparison to the glory and the standard of God is we hold up God's word and we say, listen, this is the standard. This is the measurement. This is where we are falling short and this is how we get back on track. It's never meant for you and I to go around and say, well, I've got it right and Greg's got it wrong. No. All of us are helping each other. Learn how we can better apply and practice the truthfulness of God's word. And we need people. We need people in the church today that are willing to say, thus saith the Lord. And, and we need people in the church today that are willing to hear, thus saith the Lord, when it confronts their lifestyles. We need So Paul says, all right, when you think about 2024, keep in mind, keep in mind, you have the glory and the standard of God, you have the direction of the world, so how do you bridge that? You bridge that by preaching the word of God, the priority and the purpose of the believer. Okay, so we have these three, and we say, okay, so this is how, this is how we should ordain and organize the the, the ministry of this church. Yes. So then, Spence, how does this then translate on the calendar in 2024? I'll put down there at the bottom of your notes, just three pleas, three exhortations, three encouragements, if you will, that I would ask that you would consider looking towards this upcoming year. Three priorities for the church. Now, you know, several, a couple of years ago, we adopted three core values. Three core values that we want to uh, ordain the ministry of this church moving forward. Three core values that we want to emphasize and that we want to pursue. Three core values we want to say this is what the church is about. It's build families, teach the Bible, and be the church. And we've been very clear that when it comes to what we do as a church, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, where do you go to church? I go to FBC Wellston. Why do you go to FBC Wellston? And you don't have to say, well, because we're not like that other church or because we're, uh, we're better than the other church or because we're different. You know, you just, you just say, I go to FBC Wellston because at FBC Wellston, we are intentional about building families, teaching the Bible, and being the church. Or if they say, hey, why do you go to church? What is the point of going to church? You realize that that's an old tradition. Nobody has to go to church. No, I go to church because when I'm at church, we focus, we teach, and we prepare people to build families, teach the Bible, and be the church. So then how do we incorporate these three core values looking down the road? I'll put them some there at your notes. We must prioritize the teaching and equipping and discipling at every stage of life. 
at every stage of life. Now, does this mean that we try to usurp the authority and the God-ordained role of the husband or the man in the home? No, we understand. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Genesis 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and numerous other places are very clear about the role of the man to lead his home. What we also understand is, as a church, we are in the midst of a community where there is a constant onslaught against the families and the home. And our families are under attack. Our homes are under attack. And while we may not be able to go room by room, house by house, we can make sure that what we are doing here as a church is that our goal is not to entertain. Our goal is not to babysit. Our goal is not to please. Our goal is not to just count noses or people. Our goal is to teach, equip, and disciple at every stage of life. Why? Because that is a means to build families. So how do we do that? We understand that Sunday mornings matter. Sunday School matters. Why? Because that's the time that you get to be taught the word of God. And you get to interact with other individuals studying the word of God. Sunday school matters. Sunday morning matters. Sunday night matters. Wednesday night matters. All of these things are opportunities for you and I to learn the word of God, to be taught the word of God, to be taught how to be equipping with the word of God, and to help other people learn the word of God. So we understand that these, this idea, apart from just a Sunday morning service, they have their purpose, they have their point, they have their emphasis. And right now we need help. We need help on Wednesday night with children's ministry and youth ministry. You say, well, Spence, I really don't want to get locked in that thing for a lifetime. Then don't get locked into it for a lifetime. Go into it and say, I'll give you six months. I'll give you the freshest six months I've got, and then after that, I'll rotate out. We need help. If we are going to reach people, then we have to be involved with people. Sometimes there's this consumer mentality when you come to church, and it's all about what I get or what I'm going to get or what they're going to do to please me. Sometimes when you need to go from the consumer to the producer. And we need help. We should make it as a priority for the church to teach, equip, and disciple at every stage of life. There is not a single class that we have in this church that should be pointless or meaningless. Everything is an opportunity to teach children, to teach teenagers, to teach adults about the word of God. And sometimes it's a tendency to just become a form of entertainment a form of social interaction, a form of just coming to be seen instead of coming to serve. So how do we build families? We understand that we as a church have an opportunity to teach, equip, and disciple at every stage of life. So how do we teach the Bible? Well, there's different ways that we can go about that. Number one, first of all, I would recommend, encourage, plead with us as a church to pursue being doctrinally sound and Christ-centered. What do you mean, Spence, by doctrinally sound? Doctrines are simply what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about morality, what we believe about truth, what we believe about, let's say, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, what we believe about the Holy Scriptures, what do we believe about the sanctity of marriage, what do we believe about that sanctity of life, how do we believe people are saved, what is the basis of our salvation, and whose hope is our salvation, and all of these come into doctrines. Well, you can go to various different religious organizations, and they will have various different doctrines. 
So what should we pursue? Being a doctrinally driven church that is based upon the word of God. What does that mean? That means we have to know the word of God. Because you can't know error from truth if you don't know the standard. So how would I encourage you? How would I plead with you to do this? Well, for several years now, I have encouraged you at this time of the year to get into a Bible reading plan. I, I know that some of you are avert to it, and I... There is no such thing as a healthy, growing Christian who is biblically illiterate. And if you think 30 seconds a day is going to keep you spiritually sharp, Try breathing 30 seconds a day. Try sleeping 30 seconds a day. Try eating 30 seconds a day. So here's my plea to you. When you leave on both of these tables, there will be a Bible reading plan. It's the McShane Bible reading plan. Robert McShane was a minister um, that served several decades ago, and he created a Bible reading plan. The gist of the Bible reading plan is, is you read four chapters a day. And in the course of an entire year, you will read through the Old Testament once, the New Testament, and the Psalms, and the Proverbs twice. Now, why would I say that one? Well, for the last several years, me and my children, we have gone through the Discipleship Journal, which is another Bible reading plan, but it is systematically designed to read from Genesis to Revelation through the course of a year. Well, my children had gotten a little tired of that same format, so they said, Dad, we want to switch it up. So does that mean the McShane Bible reading plan is the best reading plan? No, but the McShane Bible reading plan is the one that I'm going to start tomorrow morning, and I would love for us as a church to be able to come to one another and to be able to say, we are all reading the same thing. We are all reading the same thing at the same time. And it gives us an opportunity to come in, ask questions, discuss things that we're reading, and to share with one another what we're learning from the word of God. Well, Spence, I'm not much of a Bible reader. Start. Start reading your Bible. How do we as a church expect or hope to be doctrinally sound if we will not be biblically literate? And the more we know our Bible, the better we know our Bible, the more we understand our Bible, the more Christ-centered we will be. So coming up this year, I would encourage you to get on that McShane Bible reading plan. If you've got one of those smartphones, you can get the Bible reading plan through the version. There's other ways that you can get that. You say, well, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. Then do something else. But if nothing else, do something. So I want to encourage you. If I need to make more copies, I'll make more copies. I'll send them to you, whatever the case may be. I would love for us as a congregation to be reading the same thing all throughout the year. I would love for us to come in on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights and for most of that time be about people saying, hey, what did you read about here? What did you think about this? And us interacting and asking questions about the things that we're reading and the things that we're learning together as a church. So the Bashane Bible reading plans are back there. You know, the way that we're going to do this is that we're going to start having some memory verses at a congregation. And encouraging us to not only read God's word, but memorize God's word together. And then hopefully, to continually address raising the literacy of this church. But then this last one. So we think about how we can build families. We think about how we can teach the Bible. 
then also how do we be the church? And I put down there in the bottom of your notes, and this is the last one, and we're done. What do we, what do we view as? How do we see what it means to be the church? Well, let me just put this phrase in front of you to marinate on and to think about. My understanding of the word of God is that the purpose and the priority of the church is to be focused and centered on soul ministry, not social ministry. Now, is there a difference, Spence? Absolutely, there's a difference. You see, you have a lot of very good nonprofit organizations in our community that are fixated and satisfied with doing social ministry. And the whole purpose is to worry about the comfort, the pleasure, the food, the clothing, the housing of individuals. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that we as a church, we have been given an opportunity to say, I'm much more concerned about the condition of your soul than the food level in your stomach. And the things that we do would be focused on soul ministry before social ministry. And so we're looking at saying everything that we do together as a church has a spiritual component. Everything we're doing as a church has a focus that we are wanting to address the soul and the eternity and the salvation of the person. If we want to hand out hot chocolate, let's hand out hot chocolate. But let's think about how do we hand out hot chocolate for the glory and the standard of God. Let's think about how we hand out hot chocolate so that we might tell people about what Jesus has done for them. Let's think about how we do these things with a focus on the soul of the person, not just the social of the person. Let me give you some examples. This summer, we are moving towards um, an event that we as a church are calling Faith and Freedom. The idea behind this event is to be on July the 5th. It's a Friday night. We want to have a community-wide evening of activities. Right now, the plan is to have it a football field. And the plan is for us to come together and it be an entire community event that we come together on that July the 5th. And there would be all evening long food, games, entertainment, activities for all families at all ages. And then we cap it off that evening by one of the greatest fireworks show you could ever imagine. And we're billing it as faith and freedom because we want to emphasize, emphasize our faith and our freedom that God has entrusted us with. Now you may say, well, Spence, how in the world are we going to take faith and freedom and make it a soul ministry and not just a social ministry? Because we as a church are the lead instigators on this, and we want to make sure that everything has a spiritual component to it. When we're eating, when we're entertaining, when we're having activities, we all want to see this as an opportunity for the people in this room to reach and connect with the people that are attending at that event to tell them, hey, this is what God has done for me. This is what God can do for you. Hey, I want to get to know you. I want to get invite you. Where do you all go to church at? Where are you all intended? Do you know Jesus? And we had this opportunity for this church to be outward facing, reaching the world. So we're doing that on July the 5th. Some of that is going to take some expenses to begin with. Good. Good. But we're going to do a faith and freedom. We're going to do in March a Seder dinner again. Just like we did this last year in 2023, a Seder dinner. Now, what's the point of the Seder dinner? The point of the Seder dinner is to remind us about the traditions the Jews had and how everything that the Jewish tradition had pointed to Jesus. 
And it's an opportunity that we gather in here. And this year, you're going to have a much better facilitator to walk through the Seder dinner than the last guy. But we're going to have a world-class Jew here to walk us through the elements and the importance and the symbolism. And the whole goal is you and I come in here and we get to invite friends and family to come in here and we get reminded about how God had all this set up. So when you're reading through the Old Testament on the McShane Bible reading plan, you're seeing some of these, and you're like, oh, I've read about that. Oh, I've seen that. Oh, I understand it. Things start to come to life. So why are we doing it? So we might reach people and show people the role that Jesus played when he came. I have already submitted offers to the Wilson Chamber of Commerce for us as a church to take over the initiative and the logistics and the planning for the Community Resurrection Day events. Easter events. Before that has been a community event, I've just said, hey, we as a church, we'll take the lead in that. Why? Because that gives us an opportunity to be outward facing. That gives us an opportunity to be in the community. That gives us the opportunity to be involved with people that don't always come here. I've also asked about doing the same thing with Christmas. And then this for this upcoming year, the farmer's market is going to have to relocate because of construction up on the turnpike. So I said, hey, the feed store is open. Why don't you come and move the farmer's market down there? Why? Because we have an opportunity to reach people. We have an opportunity to talk to people. We have an opportunity to be soul-centered, not social-centered. We do that with camps. We do that with other things. We have an opportunity to go to people and to say, hey, I'm more worried about your soul than your social. So what does that require of us? Well, that's going to require some of you to serve. And I don't know sometimes you think that's a dirty five-letter word, but that's going to require some of us to serve, to serve outside our comfort area, to serve outside of what we feel that we uh, always want to do to maybe serve just because we are focused on the souls of people. It's going to require us to support. How do you support? You support with time. You support with financial resources. You mean the church needs money. No, God's ministry is funded by money. So what do we need? It's not that God needs your money because it's not your money. (laughs) It's that we have an opportunity as a congregation to financially fund with what God has blessed us with to finance the ministries and the purpose of this church. And we have an opportunity to pursue that. We have an opportunity to be engaged in that. We have an opportunity to address our facilities. And we have an opportunity to address when people come in, what do they see? Do they see a church that is fixated on the glory of God? Or do they see a church that is a testament to the apathy of man? Where are we at? Because we're soul ministry, not social ministry. Now, how do I get back to 2 Timothy 4? Everything, everything that you have done in 23 and everything that you will do in 2024 begins and ends with your relationship with the Lord. And the whole beginning point of trying to think about where I've been and where I'm going, it all centers upon your relationship with the Lord. So if you're here this morning, you're like, Spencer, some things that I would like to do, some ways that I'd like to serve. Man, I would love to be able to help out with the children's ministry. I'd love to be able to help out youth ministry. Oh, Spence, I would like to get on that Bible reading plan. Oh, Spence, I would love to serve in these ministries of the church focusing on souls, not just on social needs. Spence, I want to do that. I'm going to tell you the first place it starts is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Because if you're here this morning and you've never come to the point that you've repented of your sins and you've turned from your sins and you've cried out for forgiveness of your sins to God, that's the place it starts because your soul is in peril. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, Spence, I know that I'm saved, but Spence, I'm, I'm more prioritized about me and you don't understand, Spence. I've already got these next 12 months planned out and I've already got all of my plans and all of my purposes and all of my future planned out. I don't need you. And maybe you just need to say, God, what do you want me to do? You've given me your glory, your standard, and your word of God. I've seen the direction of the world. I know what you've called me to as a believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, God, what does that look like? What should my 2024 look like for me to further the kingdom of God? And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're not at that first step of salvation and crying out to be saved. Maybe you're at that second step. And instead of you asking the question, what will you do for the kingdom of God? All you have been thinking up to this point is, what will the kingdom do for me? And this morning, you need to switch that. I said, what am I going to do to further the kingdom of God? Maybe there's something else that God has put in your heart or your mind. I hope that as you look towards tonight, tomorrow, and the rest of the calendar year, that you will begin to think, how will you further the kingdom of God? Not how will this church, how will you further the kingdom of God? You bow your heads with me. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.